I think um, most folks have seen a TV show or a movie or seen an experience where um, like the, uh, an author is, is trying to get a story started and they, they write a bit or maybe even just a letter, you know, they write a bit and uh, they crumple up the paper and throw it on the ground and then they get a new sheet of paper and they write it and they crumple it and throw it to the ground and you just see the, the room they're in fill up with um, kind of crumpled up papers and then finally they, they get to where they're okay with what they've written. Well, a similar thing happened to me um, over the last day. Um, you can change the title of the sermon. It's not confident and uncertain. Rather, it's going to be living by faith. Um, confident and uncertain, I think, are two words that capture a bit of what's going on, but, um, but I think living by faith will help us um, grow in our understanding of what God is saying to us through this passage. And as we go to God's word, let's turn to him in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now as we have sung that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word, would give us understanding, would give us growing awareness of who you are and what you have done and what you're doing and what you ask of your people. Father, be pleased to use your word and your spirit in the lives of your people today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever faced something you knew you needed to do, you were asked to do, but it didn't get done? Now, why? Why didn't you do it? Why didn't it get done? Was it a matter of your will? You would not do it. Or rather, was it a matter of your ability? You could not do it. Well, I think we've all faced those kind of situations. And in that, uh, what kind of excuses did you give to explain why uh, something didn't get done? Well, in today's text, the preacher, Solomon, is going to help us get rid of our excuses and do what needs to be done. Earlier, he wrote, and we read uh, in chapter 9, verse 11, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to them all. So so why plan? Why act? Why make decisions? Why take actions? Now, that could be a thought that paralyzes us, right? Well, if... Time and chance happen to them all. Why, why do anything? Why, why run the race? Why, why get in the battle? Why, uh, why try to learn? Why try to earn money? If, if time and chance happen to them all, why do anything? It can paralyze us. But on the other hand, it could also prompt us to act. If time and chance happen to them all, then why not go for it? You know, if, if there are risks in everything, uh, 
then it would be better to, to risk it, as it were, moving forward than standing still. We are coming to the end of Ecclesiastes, that wisdom book, where at the beginning, at the end, Solomon, the preacher, says, all is vanity, all is like a vapor, a mist, a breath. It's like smoke, it's fleeting, it's empty. All is vanity. He says that at the beginning, and he says that at the end, but along the way, He's providing, as we've seen, words of pleasure, words that we can take delight in, words of pain, words that are sharp, that penetrate, that that wound us, that heal us, words that provide perspective as we're walking and getting our way to that summary statement of fearing God and keeping his commandments. It's also helping us prepare for the certainty of our death, for the certainty of judgment. Ecclesiastes is helping us stay anchored to our calling to live by faith in Jesus Christ and not by sight in this fallen and frustrating world. Ecclesiastes here is presenting the necessity of fearing God in this fallen and frustrating world. The preacher, through his own life, is is telling us that with God, life is fulfilling. Without God, life is empty. We've been seeing week after week the hard reality of the little that we do know and the vast amount of life, things in life that we cannot control. And we see that the more the preacher looks, especially under the sun, the more he struggles to make sense of the world. Ecclesiastes does not have all the answers, nor does it even claim to have all the answers, but it helps us nonetheless know and love and serve God even when we don't have all the answers. In other words, it helps us to walk by faith and not by sight. Last week, when we looked at chapter 10, verses 12 through 20, it was a text, once again, centered around wisdom and its ever-present opponent, folly. And we saw that the preacher continued to observe and evaluate, and he spoke about wise lips, the wise employment of words, wise leaders, the wise exercise of leadership, and wise labor, the wise expenditure of effort. And our text last week presented a contrast between wisdom and foolishness, and it issued a call to be wise. And in doing so, it asked really two questions. Do you see the contrast between wisdom and foolishness? And have you heard, do you hear the call to be wise? We ended with a focus on Jesus Christ who as Paul would write to the church in Corinthians, who Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the one, as he tells the Colossians and he tells us, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, today in Living by Faith, we're going to look at the first six verses of chapter 11. And it picks up on this theme of wise labor, the wise expenditure of effort that's made while living by faith. Now we know Paul writes to the Corinthian church this statement that is is as clear and succinct and concise. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now what is faith? What is faith? Uh, The letter to the Hebrews, the author answers it well at the beginning of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance 
of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes about life in a fallen and frustrating, confusing, chaotic world. He's encouraging the church, and he encourages the church with these words. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then he says this, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Things that are seen are transient. Things that are unseen, he says, are eternal, are everlasting. And, and, and here, you can see where Solomon is talking about life under the sun. Life under the sun. Life as you see it here and now on earth. And yet, as we've been seeing glimpses along the way, and we'll see it even more clearly in the next couple of weeks, life above the sun, life beyond the sun, life that we see, as it were, by faith. So as he is preparing to bring his book to a climax and a conclusion. The preacher puts his book of observations and evaluations on the shelf, so to speak, and he picks up a book of commands. And he issues three commands in our text, all involved in living by faith in a fallen, frustrating, and seemingly futile world. Here are his three commands. Get to work. Watch out and don't quit. Get to work, verses 1 and 2. Watch out, verses 3 through 5. And don't quit, verse 6. Join with me as I read Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So let's look at his first command, get to work, verses 1 through 2, 1 and 2. Here is this exercise of faith in making an investment that entails risk. Now, this is a metaphor. It's a figure of speech. It's a, it's a word picture. Cast your bread upon the waters. I think for folks outside the church who 
they've heard that expression, cast your bread upon the waters. It's something that's made its way out of Scripture, kind of to the common language of people. What does that mean? Well, there's a traditional understanding um, has to do with almsgiving, giving to the poor, like share with the poor. Um, just put, put it out and, and, you'll, and it will do good for people. It, it, so, so cast your bread upon the waters, meaning contribute to the needs of the poor. Uh, you'll find it. It'll, they'll, uh, the poor will be benefited, as it were. And then it says, give a portion to seven or to even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. This idea of distributing it in many ways to many people. Well, there's one interpretation, one understanding of what this means, but there's another view, another view, and it can be, um, it's a good view, and it's actually the view that I've come to the conclusion, uh, and it's based on, um, in some ways, uh, the fact that uh, Solomon sent ships out for commerce to trade, and it's, and it's a commercial pursuit view. Uh, it has to do with ocean-going ships and diversifying your business. In other words, cast can really be, I think, translated send, let loose. Um, put your goods on a ship, let it go, and six months, a year, two years, it will come back with other goods and you will have made a profit. And because disaster can happen, don't put all your eggs in one basket, diversify. Put it on several ships with different goods. You just never know what will come back to you. It's a call to action here. Get to work. Uh, ships may be long delayed. They go out. When do they come back? So any business venture that entails sending one's goods out for trade involves considerable trust. It is, it is gone. It is out of your sight. You're trusting the captain of the ship. You're trusting the master of the ship. He's got your goods. You don't have them. Will it come back? Will you make a profit? The preacher is saying, act and then trust. Take action and wait and be patient. Take action. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Diversify. Here, opportunities are presenting themselves. The preacher is saying, don't let it pass you. Get to work. So, what are you doing with the opportunities before you? In particular, the opportunities to get the word out. To get the word out about Jesus. For the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. The new life in Jesus. What are you and me, what is this church doing? More about that in a moment. It's a call here, of course, to send and to give. Despite the ignorance of the future, now is the time to act. It's not a roll of the dice. It's not a gamble. It requires both faith and patience. Look at 
the New Testament reading that was read a few moments ago, the parable of the talents. Two out of the three men got to work with what they had been given. One man didn't. Charles Finney, the well-known American evangelist of the Second Great Awakening, kind of the new measures, um, introduced some things into evangelism that are pretty questionable when it comes to can they square with Scripture. But nonetheless, the story is told of uh, Charles Finney being criticized for the way he did evangelism. And the story goes that he said something like this, well, I like my way of doing it more than your way of not doing it. The preacher here is saying in so many words, do it, trust, be patient, wait. Send, give, wait. Now after calling his reader to get to work, the preacher calls his reader also to watch out because there are some hindrances to taking action, some obstacles that that are going to get in the way. Watch out. It's a warning. Beware of the obstacles and avoid the obstacles. And there are three obstacles in verses three through five. The preacher is saying, first of all, in verse three, don't be paralyzed by inevitability. Look at verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain and empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Don't be paralyzed by inevitability. Neither an ominous outlook, uh, the clouds that are full of rain, or the unexpected event, the tree falling, must hinder you from acting. Uh, We can't control events even when we can anticipate them, the clouds and the rain. We, we see the clouds, we think there's going to be rain, but we don't know when the rain is going to start. We, we see a tree, it looks rotten, we think it's going to fall, we, we don't know when, and we certainly don't know where. It will fall this way or that way. We can't control events, we can't know precisely how these events will work out. There's no control when the rain falls. It will inevitably come. And there's no control where a a tree may fall. It may fall on your property. It may fall on the neighbor's property. Seemingly random. So there's the paralysis that, oh, it's inevitable. But also there's a paralysis that I think many of us may know a little bit more about procrastination don't be paralyzed by procrastination we see in verse 4 he who observes the wind will not sow so and he who regards the clouds will not reap it's a warning against procrastination it's it's a warning against waiting for the perfect condition before you act um, y'all have seen um, children at the swimming pool going off the diving board for the first time, right? You, you've seen them go to the edge of the board and back up, 
go back to the edge and back up, go back, and you're in your mind going, are they going to jump or not going to jump? And then, and then it is always the case, you see that little boy or little girl actually not go back to the edge, but go back to the ladder and go down the ladder. Something is keeping them from acting. What are they waiting for? Are they waiting for the perfect condition? Are they waiting for the ideal environment? When I was a young naval officer on my ship, um, I had the habit, um, or so I've been told, of telling my boss, well, ideally, so-and-so. Ideally, such-and-such. I was trying to explain things, and he finally said, Mr. Vesey, because in the Navy on the ship, we called each other Mr. Mr. Vesey, we don't live in the ideal world. We live in the real world. So just eliminate ideally from your vocabulary or words to that effect. He was on to something. Because I was making excuses and I was waiting for things to just be perfect and the conditions just to be right. No, as one of the former defense secretaries said, you go to war not with the army you wish you have, you go to war with the army that you do have. So don't be paralyzed by inevitability. Don't be paralyzed by procrastination. And also don't be paralyzed by ignorance, by your lack of knowledge. Look at verse 5. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Here's a warning against ignorance. Uh, here's the, the use of, of spirit and, and wind. And some commentators, I think, rightly are thinking, did Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, recorded in John 3 about the, the work of the spirit like the wind, did he have this passage in mind? Maybe. Is it Ezekiel thinking about um, the dry bones that, that live when the breath of God breathes on them? And Ezekiel's response, remember, was, only you know, Lord. You don't know. And because of that, we're often hesitant to act. We're paralyzed by ignorance. If we're waiting for certainty, I think if we're waiting for certainty, we'll never take action. It's a risk. It's a life of faith. Look at this mysteriousness in that chapter, in that verse. You can't see the operation of a child growing in the womb of a woman. You can't see, you can't trace out the path of the wind. You see its effects, but you can't see what's really going on. It's a, it's a mystery. You're ignorant. But your ignorance, preacher is saying, shouldn't stop you. From taking action. Opportunity is knocking. Is it going to be, well, it's an inevitable. I'm going to procrastinate and put it off. I'm just ignorant. Are those the excuses that you and I are going to make when opportunity comes knocking? Well, after warning us to watch out. The preacher circles back around to command us, to encourage us to not quit. Look at verse 6. 
In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Here's the world of agriculture, sowing and reaping, uh, the faith of a farmer. Uh, many of you have relatives that have farmed, and if you know farmers, you inevitably know people in many cases, of great faith. Great faith in God. Why? Because they know they have to plant and water, but they can't make anything grow. They know they have to uh, labor, but it's up to things beyond their control if there's going to be a harvest. Yes, they can irrigate, but they can't control the weather. Oftentimes, farmers model for us the life of faith. Indeed, Paul is communicating to the Corinthian church about the ministry of the gospel, and he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Notice in this command, this call to not quit, the optimism. I mean, Throughout Ecclesiastes, there's been this, at times, great pessimistic cloud sort of hovering over. And as I've mentioned a time or two, sometimes after reading a particular passage, I feel worse than before I read it. But again, it's doing its job. But here, notice the optimism. I mean, who can't but feel better after reading verse 6? Notice, he doesn't even consider the possibility that both will go badly. There will be a harvest. Look, you don't know which will prosper or be successful, this or that. The sowing in the morning or sowing in the evening. Whether you labor in the morning or the evening, one of those is going to be successful. One of those is going to prosper. Not only that, look how ignorance here is a great thing. You don't know whether both alike will be good. You're sowing in the morning. You're sowing in the evening. Both may produce a bountiful harvest. What optimism? What optimism? I mean, the expression is, well, who knows? Who knows? You, you just never know. So sow your seed. Paul writes, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The law of spiritual harvest. You sow the seed of the word. The word mysteriously does its work. And sooner or later, in ways expected, ways unexpected, there is a harvest. But he knows it's hard work. He knows it's difficult. It takes patience, stick-to-itiveness, perseverance. And so he writes to the Galatian church, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You see the condition? We'll reap if we do not give up. But it's the life of faith. It's trusting and believing in things that are unseen. 
It's getting to work, watching out, and not quitting. Back in 1910, Theodore Roosevelt, the the 26th president of the United States, was on a world tour after his presidency. And when he got to Paris, he gave a speech called Citizenship in a Republic, which among some would come to be later known as the man in the arena. The man in the arena. The preacher is telling us something about being in the arena. And listen to what Theodore Roosevelt said. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly." so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Well, that's a president of the United States, but here's the very word of God. Here's the preacher. Here's Solomon saying, get in the arena and get to work and stay in the arena, and stay at work. Are you and I the critics that sit in the stands? Or are you and I in the arena, on the field, praying, laboring, suffering, sowing, Sharing, sending, giving. You know, knowing and resting in the sovereignty of providence of God, which the preacher has been emphasizing, enables us to take action. You know, the folks that should be the most motivated to share Jesus are the folks that are most convinced by the sovereignty of God. The folks that believe the most in divine providence are the folks that are willing to risk it, to be laughed at, to be made fun of. Why? Because they trust in a good and great God who cares for them. Get to work. Watch out. Don't quit. It's living by faith. It's it's walking by faith, not by sight. But it involves, nonetheless, looking. The walk of faith involves looking, first of all, looking to God's word written. Where do we find the promises of God? Where does God reveal himself? In his word. 
If you are evil, we read earlier, know how to give good gifts to, his, to your children, how much more than the Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you know God's word? Are you looking to God's word? Is it your chart for life? But remember, when it comes to the promises of God, God's word says this, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus Christ. We look to God's word written, but of course, as Jesus said to those religious leaders, you search the scriptures, think you're going to find life in them, and yet the scriptures point to me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, the scriptures point to a person. The promises are found in a person, in, in Jesus. We are called to look, to look. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We're called in this walk of faith, in this life of faith, in living by faith, not by sight, nonetheless to fix our eyes on Jesus. And I want you to know that's, that's a call to all of us together. You know, Paul writes the church in Rome, I want to get to you soon because we can be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Mutually encouraged by one another's faith. You see, if you surround yourself with people who are looking to Jesus, it's going to help you look to Jesus. And if you come along some, somebody that's having a hard time looking to Jesus and you can through your words and through your care and through your comfort, you can point them to Jesus. You'll help them. Mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Sure, a body of doctrine, but also faith, trust, confidence, assurance. Living by faith. Peter writes to the church, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Solomon at this time did not have the blessing that we have. The Messiah had not yet come. But God gives his people faith. He gives his people eyes to see Jesus. I am longing for that day when my faith will turn to sight. But in the meantime, I'm thankful for God's word, God's, God's spirit, and God's people that help me walk by faith not by sight. May we be a church of people helping one another to walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that everything that was written in former days was written for our encouragement so that through, the, through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might persevere, we might continue. Father, thank you for being the God of endurance and encouragement. Father, we ask that you would strengthen us Would you grow our faith? Would you enable us by faith to get to work, by faith to watch out, and by faith to not quit? Father, help us to know that an investment in your kingdom brings great rewards and that every risk that we take to share the good news of Jesus is a risk well worth taking. Be pleased, Father, to guide us, direct us. And as we plant and water, would you be pleased to give the growth? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.